last week we talked about hearing the voice of God, which is a practical way that you walk in love. And um, today I want to I deal with the concept of honor, but I really want to focus on relationships. Because I believe one of the great ways that you walk in honor is that you walk, um, how we walk in relationship with the people around us. So I'm going to open up with John chapter 4, and I titled this, Lift Up Your Eyes. And in John 4, is actually Jesus was doing what we were doing yesterday, or no, Saturday. Today's Sunday. Yeah, that was yesterday. Losing track of time. Uh, Jesus, who came to save all of us, who come to go to the cross and resurrect, uh, said, I need to go to Samaria and minister to this woman at the well. And then afterwards in John 4, this is what he says. He's talking to his disciples. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? This is John 4, 35 through 38. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And this is my encouragement. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. The Lord led me to this passage for a reason, and and, um, I do believe that God wants us to enter into a harvest that's actually here, that's white now. But I believe the key is not the harvest. It is the connections that we have relationally. Like God always does things relationally. This is how he operates. One of the great chapters in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it deals with the spiritual gifts. And when it opens up with the spiritual gifts, it closes off with platforms or destinies, but the middle of that chapter deals with us, the body of Christ, the economy of God, and how God connects us together. It's interesting, that chapter opens up and it says, I would like to speak to you, all right, about spiritual, and then the word gifts is in italics. That means it's not in the original language. I would like to talk to you about spiritual, let's say, things. Understanding spiritual things. And I think that this is a deficiency in the body of Christ because God wants us right now to be more discerning of the spiritual in those around us. Let me, let me highlight this for a minute. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 The scripture that we all can quote and we know so much is 2 Corinthians 5.17. For any man or any woman who is in Christ, you are a new what? Everybody knows that verse. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Praise God. But the verse before that says, I do not regard Jesus or no one else no more according to the flesh. And this is our deficiency. We live in a world that's physical, but God has made us spiritual. We are spiritual beings that live inside of a physical body, and all of us have this challenge of we judge based on the natural. And that scripture says you're a new creation, but you're to judge not based on the natural, but to based on the spiritual. And God has placed you in Christ. He has placed you and everyone around you that knows the Lord in a good place. And God wants us to discern the people around us. Who is around you? Because I feel like in order for us to enter into this harvest, 
to enter into what God is doing in Tampa, inside of this region, God's going to need us to lock arms. I would say inner circle-wise, outer circle-wise, I mean, all areas, God needs me to recognize relationships right now, which are key. Amen? It trips me out when I read the Bible about certain relationships and what people were willing to do. I mean, the connection. You ever read the book of Ruth? It's an easy read. It's four chapters. Y'all can read it tonight. It's four chapters. They named her baby Ruthie. Yeah. Ruth trips me out. Like, her and Naomi, they lost everything. They lost all their family. They lost everything. And it would make common sense for Ruth to go back to her people and try to recover when she lost everything. But she says, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving your side. I think this is what God's calling us into. He's calling us into an uncommon, not common, an uncommon realm when it comes to relationships. How I'm willing to... Um, be inconvenienced to be connected to somebody, schedule time, no matter what it is, to be connected to somebody because I'm recognizing that God's in this, in this relationship, and it's not about what they can do for me or what I can do for them. That is part of the economy, but that's not what it's about. God's like, there is a harvest that is white, that is hanging on the trees, but I need my people to be connected together. And like... There's going to be things we just, we can't do. And like the harvest is going to rot. There's going to be people that's going to miss it. And it could be detrimental. It could be people lost going to hell. And God says, I need my people more connected. Like there's things that God don't withhold, but he does withhold. He says, I withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Let me say it another way. God's never withholding from an aspect of seeing someone get hurt. But he says, I do withhold when I put an answer in front of you to be connected. And then everything begins to flow. And a lot of times, that's inside of relationship. All of us are guilty of this, myself included, that we, we, we look naturally and we, we judge naturally, right? We look to be inside of a place, but we're actually inside of a position, all right? What place are you financially? What place are you inside of the marketplace? What place are you educationally? What place are you in your influence? All of that, but we've been positioned in Christ. And because I've been positioned in Christ based on what he did, I'm in a great place, do you see what I'm saying? I can't earn that. And that's where we miss it when it comes to judging naturally versus spiritually. The baby in Christ has just as much as the one that's been walking 30 years. And there could be something that's unlocked there and we miss it. Is this making sense? Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. I mean, Jonathan would have been the heir to the throne, and David's actually going to receive the throne. And Jonathan honors David, and it says their love was greater than the love of a woman. And it don't mean they were gay. No, I've heard that before. It's No, it's, it's called a divine connection. It's called the recognition that God's connected two people to do something together. Jonathan ends up saving David's life. 
multiple times, and he becomes the one that begins to lead Israel. He becomes the one that God sets the covenant in motion for Jesus to come into the world. Uncommon. You guys good? I feel like everybody in the room, you stand before God. Listen, you stand before God in such a good place, and it's going to be paramount that you see this in order to see the spiritual around you. I'm going to say that again. You're going to miss it if you can't see it in yourself first. You're judging yourself naturally too much. If I can judge myself in Christ, then I can't really be judged, to be honest. But if I can place myself with my thought process, with my words, with my actions, and just follow him, this is what he says about me. This is how I'm going to think. This is what I'm going to say. This is going to be my cadence in life. Then when it comes to those around me, my antenna is completely different. Does that make sense, guys? You can't do life with everybody, but you're called to people. And God wants us to recognize that. There's greatness right in front of us. And this is a big need. I think the hour right now for the church, we so need the gift of discernment. When I used to read that in 1 Corinthians 12, going through seminary, teaching it, in colleges and all that kind of stuff, ministry schools, I mean, I would always teach it. The discerning of spirits mean that you can recognize angels and demons, which is true. You're able to actually, like these glasses, discerning of spirits is I can see into the realm of the spirit. And you, you can see there's angels in the room right now. Scripture says it. The room's full of angels right now. All right? Discerning of spirits gives me the lens to see that. But discerning of spirits means so much more. And it don't mean that you discern someone's heart. Man, Jose don't like me, man. I just know it. That, that, that ain't what God's saying. I know Jose got an issue with me because I'm discerning. That's the, that's the backwards idea that we have so much when it comes to, you know what I'm saying, that discerning process. No, the discerning of the greatness. The discerning of what Christ has trusted somebody else with. The discerning when Jesus says, I will build my church and I will give you the keys to the kingdom and discerning the keys that someone else has. Like mining the gold out of someone else's heart that they don't even know. And you are discerning. The church so needs this in this hour. This is what unlocks the doors. This is what changes everything. This is what moves us from a realm of dryness over into a realm of abundance. And God's like, I'm not doing it by yourself. I'm doing it as you're connected with somebody. Amen? So I'm going to chat with you just for a minute about, uh, about Joshua. So let's go to Joshua chapter 1. How many of you know Joshua was a good dude? Joshua was a good dude, man. You got to study his life. Joshua 1, we'll read verses 1 through 3. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, I believe this is a tag team verse with what we just shared in John chapter 4 when the Lord is saying there's fruit right in front of you and I've already given it to you. So leading up to this verse, Moses was the baddest dude on the planet. Scripture says it that way, but in my language. It says there was never a prophet, there was never a guy like this. This guy talked with God face to face. You got to realize Israel wasn't a nation. God created a nation, all right? And then when God brings Moses on the scene and God grooms Moses, he's talking to God face to face. He had led a nation out of bondage. He had taken this nation through great signs and wonders, and then God is actually meeting this man on a mountain. God's coming down out of heaven. You got to see this. God's coming down out of heaven, and God is literally stepping onto a mountain, and it's shaking violently, and Moses is speaking to God face to face. Could you imagine? Could you imagine this happening here? Out at the bay, a cloud comes down, everything's shaking, and a man or a woman is going up to speak to God face to face. And now this guy's dead. And God says, now listen. I need you to take all of them into all that is inside of my heart. I want you to take them into it. Can this be something that God wants you to do? What is the low-hanging fruit? All right? I want you to listen. What is the low-hanging fruit that God's placing in front of you? Where does God want you to put your feet? Could it be this big? Because we always think when we read Bible narratives of people like Moses, Joshua, David, and we read about their lives, we do not read ourselves into the narrative. We just think, wow, right? Am I the only one or y'all just, y'all, y'all, y'all different? Like Paul wrote most of the New Testament, I don't think that I could do that. Do we, we, don't, we don't write ourselves inside of the narrative and God says, no, I, w- I want you to. I want you to write yourself right inside of the story. That, that, that's you, Nathan. That's you. That's you, Nathan. We got all these Nathans. That's you, Nathan. Nathan's like, hit me too. Do y'all believe that? The thing that I admire so much about Joshua's life, there's three things. I know everyone's taking copious notes, but there's three things. He was a, he was a radical lover of God. This dude was a radical lover of God. You got to realize, guys, listen, at that time, worship was actually operating kind of like around sacrificing animals and stuff like that. You know, it was it was wrapped around something that was very more um, just ritualistic. And instead, all right, he chooses to worship God how Moses is and just linger in the presence, linger in the presence. In Exodus 33, it talks about how Moses would go and God would speak to him face to face and um He would not leave. Joshua would not leave the tabernacle. He would not leave the presence. And he would stay there. Very interesting. This guy was a servant. It talks about in the text. He was a servant. 
he calls him Moses' assistant, but in other places you'll see that he was a servant. And it actually goes on to say that he is a, a, a servant of the Lord. So he's a lover of God. He's a servant. And the last thing about him is he is brave. You know, bravery, guys, don't mean that you're not scared. That, that's, not, that's not what God's definition of bravery is. Bravery is when you step out shaken. You're always, there's, there's always going to come times when you're timid or when you feel fearful. But God is attracted when you step out in those moments. Like both of these guys that stood up here, they said initially they were nervous talking to a stranger about the Lord. But when you do, all of a sudden, God steps inside of the, the moment. It's like that for all of us. You already are bold, amen? A lot of times it's just stepping out. So he's a lover of God. He is a servant, and he is courageous, or he is bold. So most of you guys know the story, right? They sent 12 spies out to spy out the land, and only two came back with what Scripture says is a good report. And he was one of the two that came back with a good report. And he says, no, we can take the land. And there was giants inside of the land. He says, no, we can, we can take the land. So he was bold even in that moment. But I think this is another piece that I, we, we might not have studied before. He was 40 years old when that happened. He's 80 years old when Joshua 1's being written. He's 80. For 40 years, he served Moses. That's a long time, huh? That's a long time. All the married people say amen. That's right, amen. Yeah. Now, there, there, was, there was something different about his life. There was something different about his life. I, I don't think that he could never have served Moses like that unless he would have been a worshiper of God. It put that servant heart inside of him. It continued to generate that braveness. But you know what? Joshua might not have been the guy that was supposed to actually get this baton. Why couldn't it have been Caleb? There was two spies that went out. Two spies came back. Two spies had a good report. Why couldn't it have been Caleb? Are y'all tracking with me? Sometimes it's, 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 it's how we choose to be connected inside of a relationship that actually unlocks a destiny that could be for us that God says, I'm just going to trust you with more than what I initially said was going to be yours from the foundation of the world. There's the parable of the talents, 10, 5, and 1. You guys familiar with that? And the one that had 10 went out and it made 10 more. The one that had 5 went out made 5 more. But the one that had 1, what they do with it? They buried it. I mean, it's interesting what, how God thinks. God says, take that one away and give it to the dude that's got 20 now. Or the girl. Let's say the girl. Give it to the girl that's got 20 now. That don't make sense, does it? Y'all wouldn't do that, would you? Y'all know y'all wouldn't. We, we, I wouldn't either. There's got to be somebody around here with only two of them. Wouldn't, wouldn't, isn't that what y'all would do? I would give it to the one that's got two. God says, no, no the one that's got 20, give, make him have 21 now. So even inside of this context, I feel like there's things that God wants to trust us with that might not have actually been orchestrated for us. And that's actually what the text says that we opened up with in John 4. You're going to enter into other people's labors. You're going to enter into stuff that you have not paid for. Are y'all tracking with me? 
I feel like even the context of this message is very prophetic in that God's going to ask you the question, what is the territory in front of you that I'm willing to trust you with right now in this season? Because later in Joshua chapter 3, the Ark of the Covenant is being lifted up. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God, and they're going over the Jordan, and God's going to do for Joshua what he did for Moses. God parted the Red Sea, but God's going to part the Jordan, and he's going to walk across on dry land following the Ark of the Covenant. And then he says this, keep your eyes on it. I'm about to take you into somewhere you have not been before. Keeping your eyes on him, God begins to do things. Watch this. God begins to do things in those you're connected with. Joshua was connected with Moses, and he told him, he says, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. And he began to demonstrate to him the miraculous, showing him I'm with you, and God's going to show you things that you have not seen, but maybe those you've been connected with now, they have seen, and God's going to begin to demonstrate that in your life. And begin to take you into some new territory. Are y'all tracking with me? And I feel like God's going to ask you a question. What is the territory you want to take? Like what's in your heart right now? Like a lot of times we're praying but there's already desires inside of our heart. Like what's already brewing inside of your heart? And I think you need to write this down. Like we can't just take this as another message. Are you with me? Like there's people's lives hanging in the balance. That woman they prayed for at the gas station, they don't know how her history's changed. And then if her history's changed, guess what else happens? Everybody's history around her gets changed. If God heals her and she goes back and says, these dudes prayed for me at the gas station and God healed me, then the family becomes changed. And their history begins to get changed. And this is when we talked about how you cast a net on the other side. And now a great amount of fish begins to come in. It's not just that one, but God says, I begin to pull in a whole lot more. What's in your heart right now? What do you sense inside of your heart? That's the Lord. But I also feel like he wants to speak to you about some things that you're not dreaming about. Like God told Abraham, walk outside and count the stars. And that don't make any sense whatsoever, and that's God. Go outside and count the stars. Well, man, where would I start at? And like he says, so shall your descendants be. And guys, God didn't even exaggerate because that's a lie. God was actually talking about every single Christian. Because he already told him that his seed was going to be as the sand, talking about Israel. And when he walked him outside, he says, because of my son Jesus, who's going to come through your line, you're going to have seeds that's going to be populated like these stars. So God's not even going to let you figure everything out, but he does want you to dream. God wants us to be in awe, and he wants us to be in wonder. And I feel like he's going to pull us, even inside of this season. And I think the strategy of God is not to study more, not to pray more, but you need to be studying the word of God. We don't need to be... Um, Ignorant disciples, amen? Yeah, ignorance not a bad word. It's a lack of knowledge. God's called us to be disciples. We're called to be learners. That means we always should be learning. So I need to be studying the word. I need to have a culture of prayer, a culture. 
That means I understand the discipline of prayer, which moves me into a lifestyle of prayer, which actually takes me over into a culture to where I'm always seeking the face of God, a culture. But I don't feel like that's, that, that's what's going to unlock the low-hanging fruit. It's the ones around you. And it's the ones that we're not discerning. This is the honor in the kingdom of God. This is the honor. It's when we begin to honor those around us. So watch this. Practically, how do you do that? You ask questions because God loves questions. Who's around me? What's in them? And you begin to actually speak into their life. And then God begins to knit you together like a tapestry. And it's not a matter of you trying to force something. God just begins to knit hearts together. That make sense? You guys good? Am I boring you a little bit? Y'all wouldn't tell me. So I'm going to wrap up. So I, I want you to pray about what God wants you dreaming about. New territory, okay? And I really feel like God wants you to write down um, what you're already sensing inside of your heart and pray over that. Ask God questions. Hey, I got, I got, Lord, I got a desire, you know, for the lost. The first person I ever led to Jesus was a Muslim. The, the dude was from Iran. He was like the real deal. And it's interesting, as we left Walmart the other day, they fixed phones in Walmart, and I had two phones fixed. My wife dropped her phone. And my dad dropped his phone. <laughs> Both phones fixed in there. And the dude's a Muslim. And um, I've went in there and I've talked to him multiple times. And I invited myself to go pray with him. You know, like Elijah, when it came to, you know, the prophets of Baal. And, you know, hey, meet me on this mountain right here. We're going to see who the real God is. I'm not going there to bust up their, their prayer meeting. But I want to go and just carry the mountain of God that's inside of me. I want to go over there and just carry the real presence of God and not be timid or intimidated by the faults and bring the real, but just create a conversation. And I think you was with me, right? And Jose had popped in there, and I was talking to the dude and uh, said, hey, man, um, I've been out of town. I was like, um, I got to get back together with you so uh, I can go pray with you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, you remember? He's like, yeah. It could be a specific demographic. Does this make sense, guys? God could unlock strategies to you. God could give you something so simple that could transform a person's life or a group of people's lives. And it could just be a seasonal assignment or it could be a lifelong assignment that God begins. God could have you begin to build something and then hand it off to someone else. So let's please take this, let's pray over it. What's in my heart and what God wants me dreaming about, all right? I got Ephesians 1, it might pop up there, but there, they got Joshua 1 up there. I'm skipping to Ephesians 1, look at him, buddy, fast. Ephesians 1 is a prayer, it's in Ephesians 1, there was a, just a great move of God in the city of Ephesus, but in this prayer it says for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, we need this prayer right now, all right? So that God will flood the eyes of our understanding with his light. And then it says three things that we can know. Our calling, our inheritance, and his power. Okay? But then it wraps up with this verse here. All the fullness of God. 
all the fullness, that means the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all the fullness of the Godhead is in the body. That's a very interesting phrase that God puts on, the, on this prayer. He says, I want you to pray, but I've placed my fullness in the body, so I want you to begin to pray about the relationships around you. Amen?